Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and I am so glad that you joined us today. We have a special Frankie Sense today because I only have one guest, but she's a good one. So we are going to look forward to speaking to Amy Van Atta Slater, but first, I want to talk about this. I am in love with John Bon Jovi. Yeah, I am. Not just his music. John Bon Jovi opened up a wonderful restaurant called Soul Kitchen, and he did it in New Jersey, right near where Hurricane Sandy had hit. And this restaurant is so wonderful. This guy is such a humanitarian. I'm so excited because he really understands the concept of pay it forward. He says that it's more important than paying the bill. This week, He opened up the second location of Soul Kitchen, where guests can pay by either making a donation toward someone else's meal or by volunteering in the kitchen. It's all part of his plan to bring attention to hunger and homelessness. And by opening a restaurant where everyone can participate, no matter what their income level is. He said it looks like any other restaurant, and but you have to understand that there are times, you know, where some people don't often have the opportunity to go out and eat in a restaurant. And this gives them a chance to be like everybody else. Also, it's part of a one-stop center that helps people apply for health care, nutritional assistance benefits, and prepare for jobs in the food industry. Now that is music to my ears. Thank you, John Bon Jovi, for being such a great humanitarian. I love it. Let's support his restaurant, Soul Kitchen. Today's guest is Amy Van Adeslater. As I said, she is a senior VP of a leading technology company, highly sought after leadership mentor, keynote speaker, and parent. Her insights on life, business, personal development, parenting, and mindfulness have inspired thousands of business professionals and creative thinkers to adjust, rethink, and refocus in every field and walk of life. Her speeches empower others to build their brands and lead through the cultivation of culture. As a corporate strategy advisor and private executive mentor, Amy cultivates the development of core leadership skills combined with compassion, mindfulness, and authenticity. Her unique approach to leadership development has garnered coveted keynote speaking opportunities, such as the 2014 Forrester Research Convention, as a panelist at the DOMA Women in Business Tour, and as a featured speaker at the 2016 Aptus Accelerate Conference in San Francisco. She's passionate about her responsibilities as a parent. She brings her message home, modeling resilience, strength, authenticity, compassion, and gratitude for her three daughters. And all of these experiences have culminated into the release of her first book, Moments, Magic, Miracles, and Martinis. Let's meet Amy. Hi, how are you? Hi, Frankie. Thank you so much for having me today. It really is my pleasure. You know, a lot of yourself... And self-learning went into your book. And I want to congratulate you on leaving so much honesty on the pages. It's not always easy to share that with, you know, strangers. Thank you. Thank you so much. How was that possible for you? How, how did that feel to you? I have to say it was, it was pretty easy at first because it was 
writing down my thoughts, really, mm-hmm. and helping me process a lot of my, my journey uh, up to this point. And then when I made the decision to actually publish it, there was a little bit of trepidation. And, but then when I had the book in my hand, I thought that I could just help inspire one person. I would feel that, uh, that I made a difference. So did, did it actually start as, as a journal, like a daily journal that you wrote? Some of the uh, poems that I have in the back of the book were just that. They were parts of my journey. And then when I made the decision to write a book, I had taken notes in my, in my iPhone when I okay. had magical experiences. I would just capture, capture the magic as it happened. And so I write in the book that it's as if my life wrote the book itself. I feel like I didn't have to put a whole lot into mm-hmm. thinking about it. Uh, it was just writing itself. Well, your book, your book, you know, as I said, is, is a reflection of your life. And, you know, I'm going to ask you in a moment what inspired you to write it. But it was really interesting at the beginning of your book, you, you start off talking about looking at, uh, you're watching The Biggest Loser and you wanted to, and, you know, somebody ran a marathon. You go, oh, I could never run a marathon. And it's, it's so common for us all to look at people and go, oh, I could never do that. And yet we're capable of so much more than we ever give ourselves credit for. And you actually did run a marathon. I so did. Tell us, tell us what that <laughs> Barely. Like. I barely crossed the finish line. You, but said, you finished your it. Time? You right. And it. I finished it. Yes, exactly. People asked what my time was. I said, I don't know. And I don't care. I'm just right. glad that I did it. Yeah. Now, running a marathon, that's what, 26 point something miles? Yeah, 26.2 miles. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, were you a runner before you decided to do that? Um, I had run a lot in my 20s, and then when I had children, pretty much time stood still in many ways around my personal personal care, and right. so I really stopped running for quite some time, which I think is why the marathon was not as difficult as I had thought on my body, because I had not been running for about 20 years, and then made the decision and, and trained for about four months. And then just did it, and I, I don't think I've run 26 miles since then collectively. Four <laughs> in months in the last five years. Holy yeah. mackerel, that's amazing! Yeah. So I think yeah. that's about my time when I make a decision because it's about the time I wrote my book. It was about a four-month window of writing, and the same thing for marathons. So I'm starting to see a pattern as I Uh-oh. talk about it out loud. <laughs> that maybe four months, four months is a good, a month, a good window you're a for me. Four-month person. Yeah, exactly. That's great. I love that. Now, did you go through the running room to learn how to do that? I actually did a, uh, got a book, essentially. It was was essentially running for dummies. It was the non-runner's guide to marathon running. And I just followed, I just followed somebody else's uh, step-by-step process. And I figured I could do it if I'm just told what to do. I'm pretty good at following directions. So I essentially followed directions. And next thing I knew, I had run a half marathon and ran beta breakers here in the Bay Area and then uh, then ran the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. That's pretty phenomenal. Really, really amazing. Um, and the most important thing is, as we said, though, is it's that follow through. It's, it's the completion of a goal. And that's how we kind of set ourselves up for success in life is, you know, with completions. We can look back and go, wow, I did that. Even if you never Absolutely. do it again, and you won't, maybe. I don't know. Uh, you know, you did it. No one can take that away from you. Yeah, exactly. And of course, as soon as I did, I had to look up the statistics to see that 
you know, where I stood just to, to say that I did it, you know, and check it off my, my bucket list as well. But um, it was great. It was a great, it was a great journey. And most of my training, I didn't even do, uh, I didn't use music. And oh, you I just, no, I didn't because it took me so long that my iPod uh, would run out of, of charge. Oh. So I'd lose the music anyway yeah. because it took me so long to, to run. And I just felt like I was much more connected uh, to the ground that I was running on without the music. Did you have any uh, big, in- I mean, it's really you're in a trance state probably for a lot of it. Or did you download any big insights or did the idea for a book come then? Or You know, what I did realize in, uh, when I, I did my first 18-mile run and I was running across the Golden Gate Bridge from I had my, a friend of mine who dropped me off at the ferry building in San Francisco and I ran from the ferry building home to my home in Marin across the Golden Gate Bridge. And what I realized was the ability to get outside of my head did exist because I feel like I spent so much of my life in my head mm-hmm. that when I was running across the Golden Gate Bridge, I, uh, I ran faster than I ever had and I didn't even know that I had run that fast. And it became seamless. And so mm-hmm. it, it was, it's really one of those things you would describe about being in the zone and mm-hmm. you think you're in the zone in life. Hey, I'm in the groove. I'm in the zone. I got into that zone where I, I feel like I was outside of my mind and even my body when I ran. And I, I don't know that I've ever run that fast again. But the time oh. it took me just to go across the bridge um, uh, beat any time I had ever had before. But I think it's just because I was that connected um, and disconnected at the same time, connected to the universe, but disconnected from, from my mind and my body. Yeah, and probably a good thing to be disconnected from technology. Yeah, yeah. It you, was actually a really, really nice nice thing because I was just running with my own energy. I wasn't yeah. being fueled by, by any sort of external external factor. So I know um, reading your book that your husband encouraged you to do that, but pretty much right after you did your marathon, you decided to divorce your husband. Did that come through any of your writing or your running? Um, I would say so. We trained together. We trained together. We decided when I decided to run a marathon, he said, well, I'll run with you. And he wasn't an avid runner either. And Uh I think he made the same decision that I did, which is we can do it. We can do it together. And I'd say about halfway through the training, he stopped training. Um, and was distracted by his own work and things of that nature. So a lot of the running and training was something I ended up doing on my own. And it's a long journey. Uh, Of course, marriage is a long journey. And um, some people are um, blessed to have long marriages, and others of us, maybe they're shortened. And so I'd say I did certainly did a lot of soul-searching while I was running, but it was something we did together. We agreed to cross the finish line together. Uh, regardless of anybody's injury, it was something that we wanted to do. And so I, it's something that can't be taken away from us. And certainly it's symbolic that, mm-hmm. you know, crossing the finish line of the marathon, which I use that analogy, is, you know, we really crossed the finish line of our marriage. And I'm happy to say that all these years later, um, we co-parent our children and share custody of our uh, youngest daughter in particular, who's still at home, and we we lived um, a good a good life, and wasn't certainly without its trials and tribulations. I think like any any marriage and any divorce, but I'm happy to say that uh, we're in a, a good space today. We're going to go to a break in in little less than a minute. Um, but let's just say that you were married for 17 years. 
And if you yeah. don't mind, I just want to explore it just a little bit more because I think there's a lot of people who um, are going through divorce, who have gone through divorce. It wasn't as easy for them to go through divorce. And it's kind of interesting to to look at a point in your life and you go, you know what? I think I'm better without it. So stick around. We're going to go to a break. Don't go anywhere. I'm talking to Amy, then Ada Slater. She's going to be with us for the next hour. And we're very happy that she is because she has a lot of lessons to teach. Take care and stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's words you Is there a particular food item that you absolutely crave to the point of madness? Then you're an opsomaniac like me. I love avocados, for instance, probably because avocados have more protein, fat, and calories than any other fruit. Some folks are afraid of the avocado, nicknaming it the alligator pear for slippery and yucky. What's a word for the fear of food? Sitiophobia. Talk about yummy snacks, let's not forget potato chips. A pound of potato chips costs 200 times more than a pound of potatoes, or tater tatties as Aussies call them. The slang word spud derives from the spade-like tool used to dig them out. What's another word for mashed potatoes? Pachi pachi. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back, and thanks for sticking around. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. You're on Frankie Sense and More, and my guest today is Amy Van Slater, and her book is called Moments, Magic, Miracles, and Martinis. And we're going to find out more about those martinis later. <laughs> but when we went to break, <laughs> when we went to break, we were talking about um, Amy's, uh, Amy's divorce. She was married for uh, 17 years to her husband, and they have three beautiful girls, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about the, you know, the breakdown of the marriage because it sounded like, I mean, you guys were about to run a marathon together. It sounds like close, like you're close, like you're good friends. So what was it that, that you know, were, what moment made you, you know, look and go, I'm better off not being in this marriage? Like, how did it happen for you? Yeah, I, I think anytime people, just through my experiences, clearly, I know a lot of people that have been through it or uh, thinking of going through it, that I don't know that there's ever one moment uh, in that particular decision that, that we make. But 
I'd say just overall, when you look inside yourself and you say, am I being the best person that I could possibly be? And do we bring out the best in each other? And I think that um, we mutually agreed that we weren't bringing out the best in each other in, in our relationship. And as in any marriage, there's ups and downs and sideways and, and backflips. And I think at the end of the day, we decided that we would be better apart and okay. uh, be better for our family. Right. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Um, as you were, you know, going through the process of that, there was somebody who was who had a profound effect on you, uh, Brene Brown. What was it about mm-hmm. her that that you connected with so much? Yeah, you know, it was watching her video on vulnerability. I sat on the edge of my couch and I watched this video, this TED.com video, for about twenty minutes, and I, I cried. I think from sentence number two. Really what it, I felt like she was doing was piercing the veil that I had carried this wall of strength and seeming perfection my entire life, probably, probably from birth, and that I had to be everything for everyone. And when watching her video about being authentic and it's okay, vulnerability does not equate to weakness. And I felt like she was talking right into my soul. And all of a sudden I thought, I have to, I have to do this differently. Are you, are you an only child? No, I have a sister. I have an older sister. Um, she's three years older. And so oh. the two of us, uh, two girls. Yeah, it's interesting because you sound like the oldest, you know, this need to take care of everybody and that, you know, everything falls on your shoulders and the need to be perfect. I think there's, I think there's a piece of that. I think part of it is, also being a type A yeah, <laughs> personality, yeah. type A, certainly type A personality. And uh, I, I think I was born with that feeling of uh, needing to take care of everybody and, and wanting just everything to be, uh, to be calm. Calm. Yeah. So confrontation was a problem? Yes. Confrontation was a problem and something that I've been working on um, for a long time both in business and, and personally, and trying to take the negative part of confrontation out of it and really just, that's why authenticity, I think, is so important. I think you have less confrontation when you're authentic. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Confrontation, I, I always kind of liked it. I don't like <laughs> to argue. I don't like arguing. But I, I like to look underneath the words and see where is this all coming from and, and how can we, how can, you know, I use it to my advantage. Because usually if there's yeah. a confrontation, it means that there's passion somewhere. Yeah. Somebody's it's an opportunity. I think I've, yeah. learned, I think I've yeah, learned over time that it's an opportunity, not such a negative thing. And when you, when you no longer have the pressure on yourself to be someone you don't, who you're not and mm-hmm. to try to be someone that everyone else wants you to be, then a lot of the confrontation subsides. Because you're not having to prove something because I already know who I am and I already know what I stand for. And it's much easier to have a conversation or a dialogue when you come from that vantage point as opposed to feeling that you have to prove something to someone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of confrontation. I think a lot of it oftentimes comes from um, some insecurities. And there's no question that I've had my own insecurities through my life, but I've come to a much more secure view of who I am. Well, so many of us you know, are feel insecure about lots of things, and um, 
So it's a good lesson. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's, how is it now being a single mom? You know, how did your life change when, when, yeah. Yeah. What, um, what changed is I had an opportunity and I write about this in the book. I wrote about the concept of slowing down Mm -hmm. that, I really had the ability to focus and focus on my children in a way that I never thought possible. And, and really, I, I talk a little bit about the silver lining of, of divorce, if you can find mm-hmm. one, which I always look for the silver lining in most things, mm-hmm. is that I have some time where I don't have children in my house and I use that to take care of me. And then when I have my uh, youngest daughter in the house, I give her more than 100% of my attention. And I feel in some ways I feel that I I did my other children a disservice by not being there Mm -hmm. uh, emotionally as much as I was when I was in my own personal uh, tailspin and turmoil. But now I have a chance that I um, have a lot of parenting moments. I have two daughters in college, one at home, and I get these really brief five-minute parenting moments and our relationship has, uh, our relationship has blossomed. That's great. You know, I, I feel that way kind of, I'm looking forward to my grandchildren. We have a few now, but it was always about, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to take the time that I didn't have when, you know, I had twins too. And, and when they were younger and I thought, Oh, you know, the first one you have to spend so much time and one-on-one and then the twins came and it was kind of like, you have to bundle them together because it's always, doing double duty and and there was kind of a little bit of a guilt there thinking you know i wish i had more one-on-one time with them and more mommy time and so i get to do that with the grandkids yeah exactly people say i mean i certainly could have grandkids and i said no i I keep telling my oldest daughter no no you don't have to rush i want them one day but i don't i don't need them tomorrow but it does it does let me uh be i think just a more involved mom with all three of my girls even even the ones during college Something else happened to you. You um, you had you were newly hired at Salesforce, and you attended uh, an offsite sales meeting where you heard from mental toughness coach Chris Doris, and his his concept about being all in. Tell us about that. Sure. So I had this tremendous opportunity to go to an offsite uh, with about fifty people, and Chris spoke for about ninety minutes, and. It just was transformational. Another one of those inspiring moments where it really talked about the power of positive thinking without putting it in those words necessarily Mm -hmm. and gave a lot of anecdotes about change and transformation. And you can create, you create the state of mind that you want as opposed to being a passenger, be the driver. Mm -hmm. And you can be the driver in all of your decisions. And he challenged us, everybody in the room, to, to go without complaining for 24 hours. And it's hard. It's hard to do. And I've had a number of people that I've told the story to, they try it and they keep saying, I keep messing up and having to start over. And 24 hours is a long time to not complain. But when you do it, it is amazing the kinds of magical moments that you can have within that 24-hour period of time when you just choose not to complain. It doesn't mean you have to be, as my mom would say, oh, be joyful all the time, uh-huh. but you don't always have to complain. And he, he talked about, uh, you know, positive vibration and negative vibration and the energy. And, and we attract, 
we attract the vibration that we put out there to the to the universe. So if you're a complainer, guess what? Your friends or anybody that you draw towards you, they're probably going to be complainers too, or they're going to be negative, and you go down that negative abyss together. So I'd rather rise above it. And so I walked away from there with a little extra kick in my step, and I know when I came back to work, my employees thought I was on something. Uh, whatever it was, I'm not sure, but what has gotten into you, Miss Positive? And uh, so it's, uh, it certainly has served me well um, in the last five years. So not complaining was, you know, oh, that my back hurts and this and that, and look at the way things are done and sending your food back at a restaurant. But it also meant that you had to be positive. And, like, did you acknowledge people more? Like, what, how, what changed? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I changed my language quite a bit, especially in, in, in business and personally. Mm-hmm. I think we all get in the habit, I hope most people get in the habit of thanking people for, yes. for favors or what have you. I changed my language and I started using words like, I'm grateful. Uh-huh. I'm grateful for what you've done for me or you add value to me or you add value to my day. I try to make it more personal. Nice. Because that's, Saying thank you, it's sort of like have a nice day or how are you doing and you give an answer. How are you? And people say not great and they say, oh, that's wonderful. And then they walk away because they don't really want the answer. So I'm just, I try to be more present. So not only taking a positive position, but also being more present. That's that's great. I love that whole concept. And I think it's really important and it's so empowering for, for the, you know, for those that you're acknowledging and, and giving, you know, real, honest, authentic time and feedback to, uh, it's great. And I'm sure it's changed their lives. You know, sometimes people just really need to hear something real, you know, they need to hear that they did a great job and that they add value to you and that, you know, you, your day wouldn't be as bright if they weren't there, whatever. You know, exactly. to be able to say those things is very meaningful. And, and a lot of people can't say those things. To, yeah. yeah, and to be you proactive know? about it, not just be in response to, but right. to proactively say, I'm glad you're here today. Or, you know, I, I try to do that in my, in my leadership at work. I don't always do it right, and I, I realized just last week there were, I had a new employee who had been around for a couple of weeks, and I just was so busy. I hadn't really given her the time of day, and I felt horrible about it. But once I did, I stopped in my tracks and, and did have to slow down to make sure to acknowledge the work that she was doing. And it's a constant practice. It doesn't mean that, that you're perfect. It just means that you are more mindful of, of how you interact with others. I want to talk about something when we come back. I'm just going to make a little note here, but we are going to a break. <laughs> okay. So we're talking to Amy Van Addis later, and you are not going to want to go anywhere because she's got a whole lot more good for you. <laughs> lots, of, lots of sense, Amy sense today on Frankie sense and more. So we're going to talk to her a bit more about her book and about her life and about a disease that she, that she had that I think you'll find very interesting. So stick around. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. 
This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velazzi's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velazzi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Muscle soreness is not an accurate gauge of whether you've had a good workout or not. After you have exercised the next day, you may not feel anything or you may have muscle awareness. But if your muscles are really sore, that's not good. Not only physically, but mentally also. Being sore has many factors, such as how much stress you've been under, how much sleep you have had, how your eating is going, etc. So scoring your workout on how sore you are is counterproductive. I am asking you to work out every day. But if you push yourself too hard one day and are so sore that you can't work out the next day, that's not a good thing. Exercise should be pleasant and productive. I want you to exercise the rest of your life. Working out does not have to be uncomfortable to be effective. Be consistent, get a great workout in, and enjoy. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. And we're back. Frankie Picasso is your host here. Here I am. And my guest is Amy Van Addislater. Amy, we were talking about um, about being authentic and acknowledging people and, and you know, really being there for them in, in that in that way. And you talk about corporate culture and let's just go into business into business mode for a moment because um, how do you think that affects the culture? Have you been able to change organizations the way that they handle their staff and the way that managers manage their staff? Uh, I, I find that um, today managers are moving to more facilitative role rather than you know the hierarchical father do as I say role, and and I think that this way of communication works a little bit better. But what have you found? Yeah, I would agree with I would agree with that, and that I think our cultures are going through a transformation. Maybe not as fast as one would hope, mm-hmm. but I think. I think that the cultures are changing and what I, how I've changed is I, I used to view myself as, well, I'm different. So therefore I should be quiet and I shouldn't do it this way because it won't be well received. And I'd say over the last several years, I made a shift and said, no, I'm, I am going to lead the way that I believe to be right. And in fact, I'm not only going to do it, but I'm also going to teach others, um, the way that I think breeds more positive uh, culture. And so I, when I started at my new job, which is now about two years ago, and they were starting, I was asked to be a mentor for a leadership development program. I said, would you like me to open up 
program with a, a discussion on culture and mm-hmm. on positive culture and that it starts at the top with leadership. And I said, oh, that would be great. And so I just put myself out there instead of just keeping it to myself and leading my teams the way that I felt was right, I now promote it uh, within, within my own company as well as with others. And you do, you do see a greater sense of loyalty. Studies show, many, mm-hmm. many studies show year after year, the reason people stay at companies is for who it is, their direct manager, and it's mm-hmm. also the very reason they'll leave if they don't feel good about the person that they're working for directly. People will even sacrifice up to about $20,000 in pay to work for the right person. So it matters. It matters not only personally, but it, it, ma- it matters for a business to thrive because it uh, takes a lot more uh, expense and energy to, to bring on new employees than it does just to keep your current employees happy. You know, it's an interesting concept because I used to work for the provincial government where we had you know, 60,000 employees, and, and I had a job as special advisor for Spirit to, to create programs and initiatives that would make them happy but not give them money. And, you know, to watch a, the corporate culture and to see people who never spoke to one another come in and say hello and, and uh, smile when there weren't smiles. And, and these are all signs of, you know, a, a culture changing and, and becoming more positive. And yet the engineers in the group, you know, it wasn't hard evidence. It wasn't, you know, not performance measurement in their eyes. And, and so they didn't understand this, but it was a huge shift from where I sat. You know? Yeah, you see and, it. You can see it. It's very yeah. clear. You can see it. It, it, It's different. (laughs) But it's a wonderful way. It's a wonderful way to operate. And people do need to feel valued. And they need to be in an organization that shares their values. And they work a lot. Like you said, they work harder, longer, better, um, and happier when when you appreciate them in in small ways. And so that's really great. Let's let's talk about... um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had a moment there. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, let's, let's talk about, you know, where you went after the divorce, after, you know, you heard um, this no complaining rule. And wh- what happened after that? Like, where did you, where did life kind of fall? Did you, is that when you got your new job and, and you started doing it this way? And how old were the girls then? Yeah. Let's see. So, uh, let's see. The girls were about 15, 13, and 5, roughly, when I went okay. going through divorce. So, all yeah. three still at home and, you know, shuttling back and forth between houses. And that's when I started to see the magic happen. When I got home from, uh, from the experience uh, at, at Chris Doris's, uh, event, my it was summertime, and my oldest daughter, you know, was getting ready to go off to school, and was feeling sort of sad about leaving. And I actually gave her the link to Chris's website, mm-hmm. and she, she was feeling sad about something. And I said, "Oh, you should check this out. Maybe it'll make you feel better." And as I was driving to work, she sent me a text, and she said, "I am what I create." Mm-hmm. And this is a teenager who rolled her eyes at me when I gave her information <laughs> and said, yeah okay yeah yeah sure mom okay right and then and then the next thing I knew she I see her coming back from the gym and she's carrying a book on happiness that I've had oh. on the table about creating happiness she said, this is really a great book mom 
okay, super. And I was just sort of a deer in headlights thinking, wow, is this the magic that Chris was talking about? That if you just raise the level of vibration in, yeah. in your, in your household, the kinds of things that you see, and I still see it today. I have my youngest daughter is 11 and she had to run this in, in California and probably in other states, you have to do this fitness test, this presidential fitness yes. test. And she had to run a mile within a certain time period and she doesn't really like to run and um, she was worried that she wouldn't make the time. And so the morning of the run, she said, do you have a black marker? And I said, yeah. And so she took a black marker and she wrote on her arm, hashtag, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I saw that and I thought, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing that she knows that she's going she's gonna to give herself positive reinforcement. And yeah. that's when you know that when you change the energy around you, people change with you. And that, that very same that very same day, my middle daughter had posted a quote on Instagram about being positive, and the world around you will be positive too. And she at mentioned me on it because it was wow. her way of saying saying thank you. And it's those things that really validate why you know why being positive is, is so important, especially especially to your children. You know, that, that is really amazing and really interesting because, you know, here you are now a single parent and most parents would, you know, or women might look at you and go, oh, wow, look at all the extra stuff you have to do. You know, you have to run them here and shuttle and, and you know, go to work and cook a dinner and, and do all of this stuff. Um, and yet you actually slow down and you're, you know, you're leading your children by example. My kids turned around and said to me, well, why don't you ask the universe? <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks <laughs> exactly exactly i know they start to say and the thing that's so so fascinating is that the same daughter that sent me that positive quote years before she used to say things like all that positive feel-good stuff you post on facebook mom and it was it was tongue-in-cheek but it was kind of like yeah you're kind of full of it mom and now yeah. it's come back full circle and she's actually, she validates it, and she's super, super, super positive and and, and pro mom now. But it's 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 a great it's a great cycle to watch. Well, you know, why be negative when you can be positive? I mean, who doesn't want better things to happen to them? That's like keep telling yeah. my husband. You know, like he's so negative sometimes, and it's like, don't you want good things? Like, how can this harm you? Like. Just be positive. I've always been positive, and I think it's just innate to some people. Some people have to work at it. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's learning to respond rather than react to things mm-hmm. and, and making yeah. a choice. You know, I'm going to choose the higher feeling. I'm going to choose the better feeling. I'm going to choose to look for things and, and feel better than feel bad. And that's really what it is. It's becoming conscious. Yeah, and it's a until, choice. Until it, is, it, becomes it is a you. choice. It is a choice. Yeah. So, I mean, you definitely had something uh, negative to deal with. You had um, IBS. Why don't you tell folks about, about how it really affected your life and what it is? Yes. And so I think you said the word had. I, it's something that I have and probably always will have. Right. Like most people I who have it. That's okay. No, I just, it's, you wish you could, I wish I could say I have it. Um, mm-hmm. I've had it in worse situations. It's something that, I was struck with um, many, many, many years ago. It's the type of thing that goes into remission and gets uh, exacerbated oftentimes by stress. Mm-hmm. And so while I have struggled with this 
for my lifetime, essentially, it really it came back with a vengeance when I went through my divorce. And there were people that thought I had some cancer or something because I just couldn't, you know, keep anything in my body. And I was afraid to eat as well. So between starvation and not being able to keep wow. anything in my body, I had really wasted away um, physically, which then, of course, drains you emotionally, which I already was being, I was drained going through divorce. It's never a fun situation, even in the best of times. And I thought, I have to do something about this because I cannot live this way. I would drive to work. Uh, it was about a 20-minute drive, and I'd have to stop five times wow. to, to, use, wow. to use the restroom. And I know it's, it's a difficult conversation, and people cringe sometimes when I talk about it, but it's my life. And it's for a lot of people. For a lot of people. I did research. Lot. I did also research it before I, as I was writing my book, that it's, uh-huh. it's anywhere between 1 in 7 and 1 in 10 people that, that have it. And so when you shine the light on something that's this dark, shameful thing, it's amazing how many people peek their head out and say, me too, me too. Yeah. And so I was very, I'm very grateful for a friend who recommended a nutritionist to me. And I, I, I was ready to do pretty much anything. Um, and it's pretty hard to be positive when you're going through that. Right. And so I hired this nutritionist to, to heal me and to heal. And one of my chapters in my book is healing from the inside out. And I had to heal my gut. And, and then it really, I had to examine the mind and body connection that it, there's truly an imbalance in my gut, but there's also a connection in my brain that's triggering a lot of the reactions. So it's not just what a lot of people go through, that we all go through, different inflammation of this and that. And inflammation is such a big conversation about our For bodies sure. today in all parts of your body, your heart, your everything. And so I went to this nutritionist and I had to go through this process of getting rid of all kinds of foods and re-entering them into my diet. And so I live a very restricted, restricted diet, but people, well, we're going to talk more how... about that because we're going to go to a break, <laughs> but I do want awesome. to talk about that because it, you know, it was challenging and your disease is challenging as it is for one in seven people. So let's talk about that when we come back a little bit more, if you don't mind, we can explore it. Of and, course. Uh... Absolutely. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Vilasi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom in 
ingenuity and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's words you never heard. The word perfume comes from the Latin perfumum, which means through smoke. Eau de Cologne comes from the name of a town in Germany where this type of perfume originated. The French say the only reason to wear perfume is to attract the opposite sex. Oh, and never ask a French woman what scent she wears, as they prefer to keep it hugger-mugger or secret. Perfumes are generally made from bits and bats of different materials that have unique scents. You know, if women are trying to attract men, why do we wear perfume that smells like flowers? I think we'd get more guys if we smelled like bacon. The best advice for applying perfume is just a dabble do. What's a word for a trifling amount? Hitherex sans kitterax. It's words you never I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's Frankie Sensenmore. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and we are speaking to Amy Van Slater, and she is the author of Moments, Magic, Miracles, and Martinis. And the book is just released. She's having a big release on, I think, the 20th, but it's just out now. You can get it on Amazon. You can probably get it at Barnes & Noble in hard copy and e-copy. Is that correct? Uh, it will be, eventually be in Barnes & Noble, but as, as it stands today, it's on uh, Amazon in Kindle, so available for download immediately. And oh, order awesome. uh, pre-orderable for uh, release May twentieth uh, in paperback. Nice. And where's your website? My website is www.amyvslater.com. And you, uh, your email? My email is amy at amyvslater.com. Awesome. So if you want to get in touch with Amy, you can certainly do so. And I would encourage you to download her book. It really is a wonderful, wonderful read. I really enjoyed it myself. We were talking about IBS just before you went. Um, is that a disease that is inherited? Do you know? You know, I, I don't, I think, I think not. I, it, they're, okay. It's part of the autoimmune family. So while IBS itself isn't inherited, the propensity for autoimmune issues mm-hmm. can can run in families and uh certainly there there is no cure there are i'd say the medical community in, in my opinion has a really hard time with it because right there are all kinds of medications and of course then they have all these side effects and there really is no cure and for so many years the answer was well just be less stressed well, how, mm-hmm. how could I have been so stressed at 11 or 12 when I first got the disease? Right. But that really was absurd. It certainly exacerbates the, the, the problem if you are stressed, but it takes on so many different shades. And I think uh, it does impact people at different phases in their life. I happen to have it for my entire life. But mm-hmm. I've learned how to modify my diet such that I can live 
uh, live a pretty, a pretty normal, pretty normal life. And as I was saying before break, as people would say, I don't know how, how can you not eat cheese and how can you not eat bread? I just, do you want to know what the alternative is? I don't yeah. think you do. Yeah. Uh, the the choice, I can make, I can make that, I can make the decision pretty fast about yeah. whether or not. So I'm what, going to what eat can't something. you eat now? Or what can't, I mean, the positive person would say, what can't all the good things you Exactly. Eat? I, I, that's the way I look at it when people say, well, what can't you have? Because I'm having you over for dinner. I said, let's talk about what I can have because first of all, the list is much smaller about what right. I can. Let's, and then also I, when I go to the grocery store, I, I make a list of the things I can, not the list I can't. Right. And course. it's much easier to seek, look for what you have. And so the things that I do focus on um, is I focus on uh, chicken, and it's hard to find fat. So I, I love bacon. I can eat bacon and avocado. I am gluten-free. I do have to be gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, corn-free. Weird things like I can have lemons and not limes. And people say, well, why? I said, I don't know. Ask my body. Right. And right. Um, all kinds of lettuces. Most lettuces I cannot have with the exception of I can have spinach and kale. And there are oh. some very common things that run across most, a lot of people with IBS. Things like butter can be difficult. Romaine lettuce can be a difficult thing for people to have. So huh. really some of the, some of the theory, the nutritional theory is that we, uh, we have so much food available to us today that there isn't any sort of seasonal eating, whereas in, in historical times, people had food that was in season and out of season, so your body got a good blend of different, right. different things, different bacteria. Well, if you, it's sort of like saying you eat too much of a good thing because the things that I ate most, turkey, tuna, Caesar salad, a lot of those things, I can't have. And so it's right. almost like my body had too much of a good thing, so it's, it's resistant to that food today. Right. Wow. Interesting. Well, you know, like you said, it's a lot easier to take that that uh, jagged pill, as Alanis Morissette would say, um, when the alternative is so much worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So much worse. You don't want to talk about it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, good for you. And you know, if 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 people are listening and they suffer from IBS, what would you encourage them to do? I would encourage them. There are many resources online. I would also, of course, you know, my um, to be, get, read my book, but also right. in my book, I do give some, some references in the back of okay. places to go that, that you can find, find information. And I would, I would look at your, look at your diet. I took a, a fabulous uh, blood test called the all cat blood test. And it does a workup of all the food um, that interact with your blood. And it will come back and list out sort of the things that you can, can't have in order of magnitude of, of how intolerant you might be to the food. And that, mm-hmm. I would say, even if you, if you can't, um, you know, take the time and invest in going to see a nutritionist for a period of time, I would uh, ask your, your doctor about the all-cat test, and that you can find that online. And is that different from eating for your blood type? It's very similar. It's actually oh, okay. quite similar. It's very, okay. it's very similar. But it's not just about blood type being, you know, are you A, B, O, what have you. It really gets down to your exact blood and, okay. and examine the food that's right for you. Interesting. So um, let's talk about your dad for a moment because you were really close to your dad. He was an important yeah. part, person in your life. Yeah, and he, he still is. He's, he is thankfully still alive. I say thankfully nice. sort of in quotes because it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not thankful for him that he has to suffer. Right, right. But, but your dad um, actually, you know, having this disease, what the disease is called, Louis something? Louis body, yeah, Louis body dementia is essentially... 
Um, if you could combine two diseases, it's Alzheimer's and Parkinson's all wrapped up in one package. He got a whammy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he was diagnosed about seven years ago. Uh, they thought it was just Alzheimer's because Lewy body wasn't very well known. It's actually the disease that Michael, I mean, excuse me, that Robin Williams was diagnosed with oh, before he, wow. before he, he died. And, um, so it can cause all kinds of things, hallucinations, and uh, he's now in a wheelchair and has to be fed and clothed and bathed and, and all of those things. And, you know, you really, it's a, a role reversal because they go to visit him and um, you have to feed him. And, and instead you go to this place and it's kind of creepy a little bit. And, but you have to find, you have to find the magic. You have to find yeah. something light about it. And I'm grateful to my sister who lives closer uh, proximity to my dad and to my mom, and my mom goes and visits him um, most days of the week. She stays home a few days a week just to give herself a break. But it's you know, how do you watch your mom, you know, grieve the loss of her husband right. who's still living, and right. then is in conflict and is in conflict because you know she doesn't want him to suffer, but she doesn't want him to go, right. and so it's, it really becomes a, 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 a torturous, a torturous disease. They've been together a long time. Yeah. Mom and dad. Yeah. They got yeah. married. Yeah. They got married in 1960 and they started dating uh, in a junior high school. Oh, wow. So it really is, uh, you know, really hard for, and, and, you know, the magic, I think maybe for you was, was a, a closer relationship with your mom or a deeper mm-hmm. understanding of your mother. It, it, absolutely. And, and really, I was, I don't think I was there for her in the right way several years ago. I wanted to hide from her grief because it, it made me so sad for her to grieve right. that I just tried to wash over it and tell her to be grateful. And, you know, that was when the happy side was over, over tuned. And so be grateful, mom. You had all these years of a marriage with dad. And instead she just wanted me to listen, just listen mm-hmm. and be there. I, and so I learned not to run from grief. And I think, so many people we do as a culture, we don't want to yep. talk about the sad things. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about disease. But I, I think it, it really does help the people that are grieving most if you're okay talking about it. I think it's really important. So many situations, you know, is just to validate people. That's all they want. They just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to do anything but listen. That's it. So yeah. easy. We always, and, and yeah. we always so say difficult. that in sales. Yeah, we say in sales two ears for a reason and one mouth. Yes. Yeah. We're coming up to the, to the close pretty shortly. So let's, let's ask Amy, (laughs) what is it that you want people to remember about you or to know about your message? What is it? What's the most important part of all this for you? I think the most important, a couple of messages, but I'd say the most important thing I would want people to realize after they read my book, and even if they haven't yet, is it just takes one step, one step forward. It, it means waking up. If you're feeling bad, it just means waking up. If that's the one step you can take that day, especially when you have times of uncertainty, and 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 really to slow down because and, and it it sounds cliche, but it it really works. If we can't change the past and we can't predict the future, but mm-hmm. if you can stay present and take a step forward every day, then you're that much closer to the life you want to live. 
and and to the journey because it is a journey. There is no there is no end to this, and 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 not to walk away thinking, oh well, you know, it was easy for her because of this, or it was easy for that person because they had that. We all have trials and tribulations. Sure, but it's 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 being able to take a moment to stand still and pause and. And look and look for the magic. Look for the magic that might just be behind behind a cloud or behind a rock. Uh, we don't always stop long enough to look and find the magic. And I think you know th- this idea of, of doing the journaling that you did, and you know the gratitude. And you think about your day, and you think about the things that were that were you know you could have gratitude about. That really helps people find magic in their day. Mm. So, you know what? Like that's right. That that was something special, or I forgot about that, but because you pass over, you're so quick, right? It just goes by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you go back exactly. to think about your day and in weeks or whatever, you can find that magic. And I guess we promised to talk about the martinis, the extra dirty potato vodka martini that you like. Um, where does that come into the into the title? How did that come about? Yeah, so uh, it's about. You know, be, be, being able to stand for something and part of the whole journey with IBS is that I, I stopped drinking. I was never a big drinker anyways, but I stopped drinking for about a year because it wasn't good for my stomach. But then when I started to bring alcohol back in, I started to drink potato vodka because it was mm-hmm. gluten-free. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I certainly cannot drink straight vodka, so I thought, I really like olive and olive okay. juice. So I started ordering extra dirty vodka martinis and... Imagine you know, you're at a business meeting and you have to ask for something that's dirty. And here you are, a yeah. woman sitting at a table with about 10 men, and you're asking the waiter for that. And then they can't hear you, and then you have to yell it. And then everybody looks at you like, oh, you like, you know, they make all kinds of comments. I won't even go there. But so that's we're, all, really we're out of timing. I got to stop. Yes, here. exactly. Good. That's a good place to stop. Good place to stop. <laughs> thank you so much for being my guest today. And thank you guys for listening to Frankie Sense and More each and every week. And I'll be back next week with another great guest or two. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. She know you, she the one way to turn the